So welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here. Who's excited to be at New Life today? Are you? Good. All right. That's great. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us online and those worshiping with us at our, Car- at our North Platte campus as well, as well as everybody at our Carney campus. Thanks guys so much for being here. We're one church, multiple locations, and we're right in the middle of a teaching series we entitled Chainbreaker. And here's the reason for Chainbreaker. Um, the real reason for it is that we know that Jesus came, he gave his life on the cross, and he rose again from the grave to break our chains, to break the chains of sin, but to also break the chains that the enemy wraps around us and keeps us from becoming all that God really wants us to be. And we've tackled a number of different topics, and if you've missed any of it, and today is one of those Sundays where it just kind of like, man, it just impacts your heart, and you're going, I need to watch some more of these, then please go to MyNewLifeChurch.com, and you can click on the Watch Now link where you can go back and see some of our on-demand material. And I would encourage you, you know, this teaching series has been very interesting to watch because what I've seen in people's lives in our church is that they have gone through hellish moments this past month as God's been trying to break the chains. What does that tell me? That tells me that the chains that we're talking about are real and that the enemy is wanting to keep those chains wrapped around people because that way he can keep them from being all that God really wants them to be. But Jesus gave his life so that you and me, we could live in victory. All right. So we're going to talk today a little bit about finding victory um, over the chains of doubt, over the chains of doubt. Now, all of us deal with doubt in some capacity. And I think you're going to find out really quickly right off the bat that this is a message that's going to pertain to every single person that's in this room, not just me. All right. Because even I deal with doubt at times. All right. Now we're not, we're talking about different types of doubt. We'll get into that. We'll help you understand it. But primarily it's not the doubt of just that God exists. It's primarily the doubting that God wants to bless your life on a daily basis. And that God has the power, the supreme authority to work the miraculous in your life, no matter what it is you're facing, even if you've been facing challenging, difficult times for a long stint of time, which can be really wearing upon you. So the chains of doubt. And as I was thinking about doubt, you know, you guys that know me best know that my mind can go to some crazy thoughts. And so my mind flashed back to as a kid watching, you know, Charlie Brown and Peanuts. Come on. Anybody else watch Charlie Brown and Peanuts? All right. We got three fans. All right. Everybody at the North Platte campus loves Charlie Brown and Peanuts. I guarantee you. All right. Right now it's just erupting. Uh, All right. So grandparents, any grandparents in the house? All right. We got some grandparents. It's your responsibility. I charge you with the responsibility to make sure the next generation knows about Peanuts. All right. Charlie Brown and Lucy. Lucy brings out the football. Charlie Brown goes to kick the football. What happens? Pulls the football. Happens over and over to Charlie Brown. It's like Lucy has this miraculous power to persuade him. This time I promise Charlie Brown, I'm not going to pull the football away. If there's anybody on planet earth that has the authority to doubt anything today, it's Charlie Brown doubting Lucy's motive. All right. That's it right there. Now, beyond that, the, the power of doubt has a real power in our lives. So to help you like really grasp this and bring it close to, to home, I want you to think about the last time you were up at night and or watching something online and you were watching you know, an info commercial about a product that had some audacious claim that it could remove mold and rust, but yet you could drink it and it tastes like Kool-Aid and it won't cause cancer. 
right? Like one of these kinds of crazy things online that will do anything you need it to, and you can drink it if you had to survive. It's just one of those things where your mind starts to think like, there's no way this can be true, right? And just about the time you're getting ready to flip the channel and go to something else, they go, but wait, there's more. Not only is it so good that a little bit can last you a lifetime, we'll give you five bottles for the price of one. That lets you know how good it really is, right? How good it really is. But when you start to watch this commercial, something happens inside of your heart and you start to doubt the validity and the statements about the product. Then you become something. You become cynical about the product. Now, that's not always a bad thing, okay? That could actually be a really good thing. And in fact, in that moment, it's going to save you a couple of bucks, you know, in your budget. But I want you to now take that doubt towards God. And you do realize, though, that same cynical spirit that you had towards that product now has the ability to be directed towards God. When you doubt God's authority and you doubt God's power to move in a massive way in your life, no matter what it is you're facing, it's It has a detriment to your life that's like greater than the couple of dollars that you would have spent on the product watching the info commercial. And we wrestle with doubt in all different types of ways. Let me just help maybe like land the plane for a moment and bring you down to maybe where some of the doubt has happened in your life. Like we've doubted many times that God cares about us. Like if you cared about me, why would I go through what I'm going through? Care about. We doubt that God's even interested in us. There is this fallacy that happens in the heart and in the mind that, you know, God somehow, he started everything that we're accustomed to and that, we're, that we know, and that he just kind of like has gone to the farthest corner of the universe, and he's just going to let earth happen the way earth is going to happen. He's not even interested in us. Maybe you've doubted things as simple as this, that God would hear my prayer. Maybe God's just not listening. Maybe God doesn't like my prayer. Maybe God's busy and he doesn't... He doesn't have time for me. Maybe you've doubted the relevance of the Bible. Are you thinking, this book, this ancient book, really have something that speaks life to me? Can it really address the situation that I'm in right now? Does it really have an answer for what I'm dealing with, this wall that's in front of me that I can't seem to get around? The ultimate doubt is then to doubt the existence of God altogether. Here's the shocker this morning. And I want you to hear this and hear me well on this one. The shocker is this. These are all normal questions. And these are all normal doubts that will race through the head and through the heart of the believer. Including me. See, the issue today isn't that doubts will race through your heart and your mind. Because it's going to happen. The question today is what are you going to do about the doubt? And what you do about the doubt is the game changer. It might, it might race through here, but you never give it a home here. It might be a fleeting thought here, but you expel it with truth that comes from God's spirit that lives within. See, there's a way to deal with doubt instead of letting doubt find a home in our heart. And when doubt finds a home in our heart, then it begins to erode us and it begins to have a, a detriment to our spiritual journey. So if you're not convinced yet in the few minutes that we spent together that doubt is powerful, then let me just show you one more way that doubt's powerful. So have have you ever had anybody that you loved deeply, that you cared about deeply, right? This is somebody you're invested in. And that person turned and they doubted you? They doubted your motive. 
Okay? They doubted your motive. Like you did something and they doubted your motive. You ever had somebody that you love and you care about doubt your wisdom and your advice? Like just shut it off completely? You ever had someone that you loved deeply, but they doubted maybe even your leadership? Like, how did it make you feel when you were doubted by somebody that you were deeply invested with? You love them, you care about them, they love you. Didn't it not make you maybe feel frustrated or mad or hurt? And you may have even said things like this, like, I feel like I'm stabbed in the back. Like, it hurts deep. Hurts deep when someone that you, you care about and you love doubts you in that capacity. It's going to happen to all of us. So, but with that thought, how, does, how do you think God's heart feels and responds when we doubt him? Well, to answer that type of a question, to discover what the true power of doubt is and how does God deal with doubt in our lives We're obviously not just going to base it on my opinion. We're going to go to God's word. So I want to look at what the Bible tells us about doubt in God's heart. And to do that, we're going to land in James chapter 1. Okay, So take a listen to this passage. I want you to read this with me. You can just read it you know, internally to yourself. You don't have to necessarily read it out loud. Um, But here's what it says. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with what? No doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Okay, I want to just like break this down because this is kind of like the foundation for where I'm going to go with this message today. So I just want to dissect this for a minute. First off, what in the world is this passage dealing with? And it was dealing with wisdom asking for wisdom so i want you to keep that in the contents right the context excuse me it's dealing with wisdom it's like if you lack wisdom come to the lord and ask him but even though the passage is dealing with wisdom it gives us a tremendous amount of truth about the power of doubt first it helps us see that doubt is like a wave in the sea tossed by the wind have you ever been at sea in a boat not on the shore where the waves are crashing in, you know, and they sound awesome, and you're sitting there, you know, in your, your chair, drinking your drink with a little umbrella on it. Not that kind of wave. I'm talking about out at the sea, you know, where you get seasick, and the waves are coming, and they're going, and they don't seem to have any particular, like, rhyme or reason to it. It just seems as if they just move however they want to. And one time it's up over here and the next time your boat's going up and then your boat's down and the wave's up over here. I mean, it's just chaotic and the waves are everywhere and it makes, it makes the average person seasick, right? And that's kind of what it's called. But the Bible says here that doubt is like that wave. You don't really know where it's going. That doubt causes a person to lack direction. That's what it's trying to say. That when doubt is allowed to find a home in our heart, and the chains of doubt wrap themselves around our heart, it causes a person not to have direction. Like, one time you, you think a certain thing about God, and the next time you're thinking something else about him. One time you're thinking he's for you, then you're thinking he's against you. And one time you're thinking that this scripture has truth, and the next time it doesn't have truth. And, or it's, you know, it's okay for them, but it's not good for me. And you just kind of go back and forth, and you lack direction. 
But when it was driving home this parable or this picture of this wave just kind of tossed by the winds and going wherever it wanted to go, it helped us to see that doubt causes a person to be vulnerable also to their feelings. And when you're vulnerable to your feelings and you're gauging the world through the lens of your feelings, you're going to miss it all the time. Every time I gauge the world through my feelings, I'm wrong. Every time. I'm just, I, it's impossible to hit the bullseye when it's just about your feelings. But that's what doubt will do. Doubt will cause us to trust our feelings more than our spirit. And then, therefore, we're made very vulnerable to the wind blowing us around without direction. But secondly, this passage helped us to see that doubt results in a lack of receiving from God. It said right in there, don't suppose that a person who doubts is going to receive anything from the Lord. Now, remember what the passage was dealing with. It was dealing with wisdom. Don't suppose that a person that asks for wisdom is going to receive any amount of wisdom when they have doubt in their heart. So what is it about doubt that we're really you know, starting to glean even from that one passage? It would, be, it would be this, that it's one thing to believe that God exists, but it's a whole different thing to believe that God rewards those who have faith. These 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 two separate entities that are happening here. Many of you that are here in this auditorium today and are at New Life, you believe that God exists. But you wrestle with, is God wanting to bless me, give me direction, speak to me, show me his power, work the miraculous in my life today? That's natural. Some of you today, you don't believe God exists. But one of the things I love about New Life, and I want to try to do the best I can as the lead pastor of this church, is to cultivate an atmosphere where people that don't believe in God right now feel safe to be here. I want to welcome you if you're here today and you're at a point in your journey with God that God does not exist. You're welcome at New Life. You're welcome to be on that journey. You're welcome to ask the questions who God is, and you're welcome to discover who he is here. So I want you to see something in this scripture. This scripture isn't saying that a person who wrestles with doubt is going to miss heaven. It's not what it's saying. It's simply telling us this. This scripture is saying that you're going to miss out on something, that's for sure, but you're going to miss out on the day-to-day victory and blessing that God wants to show the believer. That's what you're going to miss out on. In a way, you kind of see yourself like a plant. A plant needs some stuff daily it needs the sun daily it needs the right amount of moisture daily it needs you know some fertilization and if you don't give the plant that then what happens to the plant the plant does what withers up and then eventually it dies same thing is true for the believer it's one thing to believe that god exists it's another thing to believe that god wants to water your life with his spirit he wants to feed you with his word. He wants to minister to your life on a daily basis. It's another thing for that. And I think, unfortunately, if we could see ourselves through a spiritual lens and, you know, lay upon ourselves that plant analogy, all too often we would look at each other and we would see a wrinkled up, shriveled up version of ourselves spiritually. Because we believe in God doesn't mean that we're flourishing with God. Big difference between those two. And that's where doubt comes in. And it destroys that flourishing peace. That's why the chains of doubt are so powerful because it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to live a victorious life for God where you're 
life is an instrument of light that the world is seeing and they're going, if that represents Jesus, that's what I want. That's what the enemy is trying to keep us from. He's trying to keep us in this marginalized, powerless Christianity. Jesus didn't die on the cross raise again on the third day and sit at the right hand of the Father to, to present to us a marginalized, powerless Christianity. It's not why he died. Thirdly, though, the Scripture is helping us see that doubt makes you double-minded and unstable. This simply means that this doubting God's power in your day-to-day life creates an instability in your faith. Again, going back to, okay, well, I believe, I believe that, there, that Jesus is the Son of God, Jeff. Okay, good. You're like a man standing on one leg. Now try to go someplace. You can go there. You're going to hobble your way there. I'm just impressed that a a guy at my ancient age can even do this. And you're wondering to yourself, when when am I going to fall over? Me too. Okay, so belief in God, that God exists, is awesome. But when you anchor that second leg and you believe that and you overcome the doubt that God wants to move in miraculous ways in my life on a regular basis. Now those two legs are anchored. That's something that you can build a foundation of faith on. If that analogy doesn't make sense to you, then maybe, maybe it makes sense this way. That the doubt makes you double-minded and unstable. It's like having a civil war going on inside of your mind and inside of your heart. There's a battle that's happening I believe in God, but I don't believe that he can move in a miraculous for my life right now. Like, I'm stuck out here to deal with all this junk on my own. And that civil war is going to battle. And most often than not, the one who wins out is the wrong answer. It it rarely wins out that you are victorious. Yes, God, I believe you. Like, over time, the doubt, if allowed to live inside of the heart, will erode faith. So I want you to look with me at what the chains of doubt have caused people to do throughout history. I want you to specifically look with me at what the chains of doubt did with Jesus. The doubt caused the people of Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus, to miss out on the good news of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, you get this picture of Jesus coming out of the desert, out of this 40 days of temptation, right? But, but he comes out, and the Bible says he uses some words that he comes out in the power of of the Holy Spirit. And where he goes, man, miraculous signs and wonders are taking place. Right? And the word about Jesus is starting to spread through this you know, known area where he was ministering at. And it even had spread all the way to his hometown, Nazareth. But Jesus had not been doing ministry very long. The people of Nazareth had heard about him. And now Jesus is going to go to his hometown and he's going to minister there. So Jesus does his classic. When he comes into the town, he goes straight to the synagogue. He goes straight to the church. And he's going to minister there in prayer and in teaching. And when it's Jesus' turn to teach, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. And he goes to Isaiah chapter 6. And he starts to quote these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolls up the scroll, and as he starts to put it away, he says to all of those who are listening, this scripture is fulfilled today. Powerful moment. Now the the people that were in the synagogue listening to him, the Bible actually tells us that they were amazed at his wisdom, but that there was this secret agenda that was going on in their hearts. They wanted to see this guy who had grown up 
right underneath their nose for the last 30 years in Nazareth. For 30 years, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Not a single miracle happened. Nobody walks on water. No sick people are healed. No demons are cast out. Nothing, right? 30 years, Jesus works as a carpenter. Some of them had gone to Joseph's carpenter shop and they were actually using the table and chairs that Jesus had built. You picture that? That's the reality. And then all of a sudden, they're amazed at his wisdom and they're hearing about these miracles. These people, they just want to see the miracles. Show us the miracles, Jesus. Show us the miracles. They doubted that Jesus could even do it. And then Jesus calls their bluff. And he goes, you guys know what? Basically, all you want to see is just the miracles. You doubt that I can even do it. And when Jesus calls their bluff, this is what happens next. In Luke chapter 4, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Isn't it amazing? Because we would never be these people, would we? People that sit in church and then at a flip of a dime, we just all of a sudden, you know, like go from saint to sinner. We would never be those people, would we? Of course not. So when they heard this, the people in the church, they were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. But look what he does. He passed right through the crowd and he went on his way. You know, here's the interesting thing. The only miracle the people of Nazareth saw Jesus do was a vanishing act. It was it. These people were the closest to him. But the validity of Jesus was doubted because of their familiarity, their closeness. For some of you, you've seen radical spiritual life change happen. I praise God for you. I mean, we wrote the book, I Am Resilient. We just had a I Am Resilient series. I mean, we could go on and on for weeks and weeks sharing testimonies of people's lives that have been transformed and changed, you know, just by being connected to this body of believers here at New Life. I praise God for that. I realize that's nothing that we've done. It's only what God can do. Amen? But there's something about new life that's causing new spiritual life to happen. If you're experiencing new spiritual growth and spiritual life, and you call some of your friends, or you call up a family member, and you want to tell them about how excited you are about this, and you know how different you are, and they doubt you, you're in good company. Because they did the same thing to Jesus. If you're experiencing life change and those closest to you because of their familiarity with you are doubting you, please give some grace, give them time. Let the testimony of your life over time, let the Holy Spirit use that. He'll show them, he'll open their eyes up and help them see the spiritual transformation that's happened in you and then he'll use what he's doing in you to impact them as well. Don't give up on them just because they, they denied you and rejected you. Don't do that. The people of Nazareth, although they missed out on the miraculous and the power of Christ to heal and deliver and to set people free, they more importantly missed out on the most important message that Jesus was there to bring, which is the kingdom of God, the good news that before them stands the Son of God, that all the works that they were doing to try to please God, were, those days were over, and that if they would accept Christ and surrender their life to Christ, to Jesus as the Lord and Savior, that their whole life would be radically transformed and saved. But they missed out on all of that. Some of you have grown up in the church and grown up around religion all of your life. My challenge to you is this. Don't allow the familiarity to cause you to question and to doubt the relevant power that Christ wants to work in your life on a day-to-day basis. 
Just because there's been a season of time where it seems as if God's been silent doesn't mean that we should start doubting him just because we've been close to him. But also, also remember this, like don't look for a miracle to reignite your awe of Jesus. If you're waiting for a miracle to happen, to reignite your awe of Jesus, you're waiting for the wrong thing. Like the awe of God should be there just because of who Jesus is, not because of what he can do. If you really want to experience the awe of Jesus, be in awe of who he is, you're more likely to see what he's doing than vice versa. But the chains of doubt, they have... They have an even like a deeper, darker secret to them. Not only did the people of Nazareth miss him, but doubt caused the people, the people to miss the Messiah and actually crucify Jesus. Like to this day, the Jewish people reject Jesus as the Messiah. Like they still are waiting for the promised one, the prophesied one from the Old Testament who was to come to be their deliverer, who was to come to be their leader and their savior, they're still rejecting them. Even the town of Nazareth is still rejecting Jesus. I was there just a couple of years ago. It is a predominantly Muslim community right now. It's not a predominant Christian community. It's not a predominant Jewish community. It's a predominant Muslim community right in the heart of Israel in Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus, still rejecting him as the Son of God, still not seeing him as the Messiah. If he was here today, would still crucify him all over again. But the people of Israel, they killed an innocent man and they shouted in Luke 23, kill him, kill him, crucify him, crucify him. Doubt caused people to kill the very one that God, the Father, had sent to deliver them and set them free. And doubt that is allowed to live in our heart, over time, will kill the spirit of Jesus, just like they did on the cross that day. Church, we need to be really careful in the world we live in today. Christianity and the truth of who God is is under attack in all facets and phases. That's not what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is that barrage continually over and over again will be entertained by you. And when it's entertained by you, it will be allowed to seep slowly into the heart and erode the truth and the power of who Jesus is in your everyday life and take you from standing firm on two feet back to hobbling on one. For the church of Jesus Christ to be effective and and dominant and alive in this world, it needs believers that are standing firmly on two feet. I know God exists, and he moves in our lives today. And there's no doubt, no matter what I face, hold tight to that truth. It'll be like an anchor for you when the waves try to toss you, and the sea starts to roar, and the wind starts to blow. You won't be blown and tossed all over the place if you're anchored in the truth of who God is. But lastly today, I just want to ask you, then how does God deal with, or how does God handle doubt? How does he handle doubt? Does does he get ticked off at it? Does he reject us? Does he get mad? Does he turn away? Does he get frustrated and walk away from us? And what does he do? How does he do it? We got some great examples. I want to give you two of them really quick. First off would be Jesus with Doubting Thomas, one of his own disciples. In John chapter 20, this is kind of the way it went down. After Jesus' resurrection... 
Okay? And Jesus has visited the disciples once. says that now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came to them. So the other disciples, they decided, we're going to tell him what happened. They said, hey, look, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. A week, it's important. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you all. Then he said to Thomas directly, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And Then he says to Thomas, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. How does God handle your doubt this is the way he handles it god has patience number one to wait for your unbelief he took a week a week before he ever shows up to thomas if you're wrestling today with doubt know this that jesus has patience for you to work through that process but here's the second thing he doesn't want you to work through it alone so he says to thomas hey look at the holes in my hands stick your hand into the hole in my side Just like Jesus wants to come along, he wants to help you through the process of doubt. He wants to meet you right in the middle of your doubt. And he wants to show you the way. He wants to show you the path. He wants to illuminate the truth for you. But notice this. God will never force you to have faith. He'll never force you to relinquish your doubt. He just simply challenged Thomas and said, Thomas, stop the doubting. Start believing. But it was Thomas's choice Thomas made the right choice. So in your doubt today, God's got patience. But he wants to help you. He wants to meet you where you're at. But he's not going to force you out of it. It's got to be a step you want to take. But there's more to understanding God's heart and how he deals with doubt, though. Like one day, Jesus was you know, out and about, and a man comes up to him with his son who's demon-possessed. And the father, you could tell, was flustered like it even tells us that the father had you know, taken his son to some of Jesus' disciples, but he couldn't find healing for his son. If he took him to the disciples, he probably took his son to other places. And the son is completely out of control. And the father, you can kind of, you see it on him. You hear it in his voice. Like, he is, he's done. He has, he's got doubt in his heart that his son will ever be free of this demonic spirit. And so he finds himself face to face with Jesus in Mark chapter 9. And here's how it goes down. The father is describing what's happening to Jesus. He says, Jesus, the spirit that's in my son, he he often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. What's the next three words? If you can. You ever found yourself making that prayer to Jesus, to God, with that attitude of, if you can? Here's what Jesus comes back and he says, what, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asks, anything is, anything is possible if a person believes. And then the father instantly cried out. These are important words. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Here's, here's how he was like before Jesus. I do believe, but you gotta help me in my unbelief. I believe you are the son of God. But I don't believe that you have the power or the authority right now to even heal my son. Like, if you can. Maybe, like, it's kind of like a Hail Mary prayer. Like, make this leg firm again underneath me. 
That's what the man was saying, just like we need to say. And I know that it's like crazy in a, in a church, a church even just like New Life. Right? It's crazy to think this, but it's true. It's almost easier to admit you're a sinner than it is to say that you're a believer with doubt. It's like there's more grace to say you're a sinner than it is to say you're a believer and you've been following Christ for what, 10 years? And there's doubt in your heart today? And we've wounded one another. We've judged each other. We've gossiped about one another. We've spoken harshly about one another. We've rejected each other's doubt. We've told each other to suck it up and get over it. I'm sorry for you if that's your journey. If your journey has been you tried to confess doubt to a spiritual leader and they crushed you, sorry for that. It's not how we should be. It's not who I should be. It's not who other spiritual leaders should be. It's not who our life group leaders should be. And I'm sorry if you've had doubt in your heart, but you didn't know where to take it because doubt turned into shame and shame turned into condemnation. And the guilt of all of that was building up and you didn't know where to start. I want you to know today, we need to make sure that our church is a safe place to admit I have doubt. And then we minister to one another and we help each other discover truth. Come back to the heart of Jesus. Come back to what God's word says so that the truth can set us free. That's what Jesus did with this guy. He created a safe environment for the guy to say, look, this leg, believing what you can do today in my life is a little shaky. Help me stand on it though. Help me rebuild it. Help me have faith where I don't have faith. You know, one of the greatest exercises of faith that you could do today would be to come to God and say, God, help me in my unbelief. That'd be one of the most life-giving things that you can do today. Because if you struggle with doubt today, that God can bless you and that God can work the miraculous, I want to encourage you today that a little bit of faith is greater than a lot of doubt. A little bit of faith is greater than a lot of doubt. Activate the faith you have and come to Christ today and say, help me overcome my unbelief. He's got patience. He wants to meet you there. He wants to lead you to truth. And it's going to be your job to step out of the doubt and into faith. I'm going to wrap this up in a word of prayer. When I'm done, in all of our venues, our worship teams are going to lead us in a song that was purposely designed for today. They're going to sing it. While they sing it, I want you to remain seated. I want you to have a moment of solitude between you and the Lord where God can minister to you and you can start coming to him and saying, here's my chains of doubt. I want to lay them at your feet. I want you to break them once and for all. You stay seated. They'll invite you to stand and worship with them. Let's pray. Lord, we take these next few minutes and we just focus in on what your spirit's trying to say to us today. We know that you are a, a God of truth. You're a God of freedom. You are a God that delivers. And Lord, you are a God who can overcome our doubt. Thank you for your patience with Thomas and the same patience that you would show to us. Thank you for ministering to the man who had faith enough to come to you and say, I believe you're the son of God, but man, I am wrestling with this because I haven't seen any change in my son for years. Lord, you know how to meet us in that lack of faith, in that doubt. And you know how to, you know how to help minister to us and to turn that doubt into life-giving faith. 
So Lord, I pray that over these next few minutes, you would meet every single person at New Life right where they're at. You'd minister to their heart and you'd bring encouragement. You'd help them to see that a little bit of faith is greater than a lot of doubt. In Jesus' name, amen.